all you have. You are now tuned in to Marcus Rays. We just sat back and ready to play. Let me take your thoughts far, far away. Now let's hear what Darth Vader has to say. We would be honored if you would join us. Hello space adventurers from across the starry expanse, it's Kyle here welcoming you to the buzzing world of Star Wars Audio Archives. Brace yourself because this isn't just any other podcast, it's a cosmic voyage for your ears. This time we're setting course for the realm of the Old Republic. Hang on tight because part 3 of Annihilation awaits. And if you thought part 2 was crazy, oh you ain't seen nothing yet. My excitement is hitting light speed. Can you sense the energy? Prepare to launch into another dimension of storytelling. Everyone locked in and ready? Alright, count down with me. Three, two, one, here we go. This is an outrage! Darth Ravage exclaimed. Morgus was a traitor who tried to usurp the Emperor's throne. Now you expect us to grant his apprentice a seat on the Dark Council? Darth Mar, senior ranking member of the Dark Council, refused to respond in kind to Ravage's aggressive outburst. Instead, he carefully gauged the reactions of the six other members who had gathered in the meeting chamber deep inside the Emperor's citadel on Drummond Koss. Unlike Ravage, they remained calm, though from their expressions it was clear they shared his reservations. No one of us can make demands on the others, Mar assured them. But I will remind you that Darth Carrot turned her back on Malgus when he turned his back on us. And Darth Hadra's untimely demise has left the sphere of technology vacant. All I'm asking is that you consider her as a candidate for the position. She's a Faulene, Darth Mortis objected. Darth Rictus, the oldest member of the council, nodded to show he shared Mortis's opinion. Mar fought back the urge to rail against their bigotry. Malgus had overreached when he tried to proclaim himself the new emperor. But he was right about one thing. If the Empire wanted to defeat the Republic, they could no longer cling to their overt prejudice against lesser species. Keeping entire worlds subjugated put too great a strain on Imperial military resources. It was far more efficient to try and enlist them as willing allies in the war against the Republic. But Mar knew arguments would only push the already fragile Dark Council toward a complete schism. Now was not the time for infighting. The Republic had them in retreat across the galaxy. A united front was their only hope of survival. Defense of the Empire was his official sphere of influence, so it fell to him to bridge the divides among his fellow council members. Our numbers dwindle, Mar reminded them. We need allies. Elevating a Faulene to the council shows other species that there is a place for them in our empire. Perhaps the problem is that the other species have forgotten their proper place, Mortis replied. Well played, Mortis, Darth Balron chimed in, letting his words hang in the air for a dramatic moment, before adding, Yet we should not dismiss Darth Garrett so quickly. Mar had been hoping for Balron's support pure-blooded Sith who reveled in the courtly intrigue, sly politics, and unbridled hedonism of the Imperial nobility, who was also responsible for the production and logistics sphere of influence. He knew numbers better than anyone. The Republic had more soldiers, more resources, and more allies than the Empire. And if the Empire couldn't recruit more worlds to its side, 
it was going to lose. Darth Karad has proven herself quite valuable to our war effort, Valron reminded them all. Without her, our situation would be untenable rather than just precarious. Darth Ravage grunted, unconvinced. <laughs> You're giving the credit to her, when we all know it should really go to the ship. Any one of us could have her success if we controlled the Ascendant Sphere. And therein lies the problem, Baron continued. We don't control it. She does. And I doubt she'll hand it over to you just because you ask. The ship is part of the equation, Mar admitted. Darth Megas controlled the technology sphere when she developed the Ascendant Spear. There is some logic in giving the portfolio to the one who now controls the last of her creations. Are you scared of her? <laughs> Darth Rictus asked, ending his question with a gleeful cackle. Mar ignored the question, refusing to rise to the old man's bait. I'm willing to consider other candidates for the seat, he continued. If any of you has a worthy suggestion. Darth Gravis, Mortis offered, and there was a general murmur of assent from the rest of the group. Inwardly, Mar cringed. It wasn't that Gravis wasn't suitable for the position. The Dark Lord had proven his worth by successfully undermining the Republic campaign to restore the devastated world of Taurus. Gravis was a link to the old ways. Ambitious and ruthless, he had earned many influential allies in the upper echelons of imperial society, and just as many enemies. Bringing him into the council would open the door for more infighting, as old grudges would be rekindled, and it would do nothing to convince other species to join the imperial cause. Worst of all, his selection was sure to anger Darth Karad. Fortunately, Gravis's victory on Terrace had been overshadowed when his fleets lost control of the mineral-rich world of Lerator, a costly setback for the Empire. Gravis failed to keep the Republic at bay in the mid-rim, he reminded them. He has fallen back to Bothawil to regroup, Mortis replied. Soon he will launch a counteroffensive and reclaim Lerator for the Empire. If he is successful, then I can see no reason to oppose him as a candidate, Mar grudgingly admitted. Then we are all in agreement, Mortis pushed. Once Lerator is back under Imperial control, Gravis should be given a seat on the Dark Council and control over the technology sphere. Mar spoke quickly before anyone else could interject. I said I wouldn't oppose Gravis as a candidate. He said, his voice firm. He should be considered, as should Carrad. We should take some time to think about both candidates before we make a final decision. Once again, we're all humbled by your wisdom, Darth Mar, Valron said, his voice hovering on the line between sincerity and mockery. I propose we adjourn this meeting so we can all ponder this very important decision. As the members of the Dark Council left the room, Mar could only imagine how Darth Carrot would react when she heard the news. He decided it would be best if he told her himself. 
It took less than 20 minutes for Mars' private shuttle to whisk him away from the Citadel to the private landing pad at his personal stronghold on the outskirts of Cop City. An honor guard of half a dozen Imperial soldiers in full armor stood smartly at attention as he strode down the boarding ramp, and a pair of bowing servants dressed in his personal colors opened the massive doors leading from the landing pad to the interior chambers. Part domicile, part fortress, the stronghold's halls were busy with household staff and military personnel scurrying to and fro, each tending to their respective duties. They bowed or saluted appropriately as Mar passed, his long strides taking him directly to the communications room. Put me in contact with Darth Carrot, he told the officer in charge. At once, my lord, she told him, then barked out a quick series of orders to her three-person staff. Mar would have preferred to deliver the details of the Dark Council's meeting to Carrot in person, but time was of the essence. He wanted to speak with her before she heard the whispers and rumors of what had happened so he could mitigate her reaction. The Ascendant Spear has received our signal, Darth Ma, the officer confirmed. Decryption may take a few seconds. Mar nodded, knowing there was no possible way any of the other members of the Council or anyone from the Republic could overhear what was about to be said. Even if they somehow intercepted the signal he was transmitting, it would be impossible to decode without a black cipher the Empire's encryption device. Developed by Imperial Intelligence before the organization collapsed, the Black Ciphers were the most advanced encryption machines ever devised. Apart from the ones installed on the Empire's 15 largest capital ships, including the Ascendant Spear, there were only two others. One in the office of the Imperial Minister of Logistics, and one in Darth Mars' possession. The hollow image flickered and materialized before him as the cipher unscrambled the incoming return signal to reveal Darth Karen. Her bright emerald skin and long black hair, some gathered in a topknot, some flowing down her back, were muted by the blue-tinged hollow signal. She had high, prominent cheekbones, a flawless complexion, and a sharp, well-proportioned nose and chin. But there was a vaguely disconcerting reptilian hint to her exotic features particularly around her cold, dead eyes. And in Carrot's case, the exquisite symmetrical perfection so common to her species was marred by the prominent tattoos and cybernetic implants that completely covered the left side of her face. Darth Mar, I was expecting your call. From the hollow, Mar recognized that she had relayed his incoming signal to the seclusion of her private command pod deep inside the Ascendant Spear. The complex network of biomechanical interfaces that allowed Carrot to become one with Darth Mechus's marvelous warship framed her image. Dozens of long, thin wires snaking out from the walls and ceiling and into the back of Carrot's neck and skull. Leave us, Mar commanded, and the communications officer and her staff vanished from the room. You spoke with the other members of the Dark Council, Carrot asked once they were alone. The ones that matter, Mar said. And what was their reaction? They agreed that you are a strong candidate, Mar said, choosing his words carefully. But there are some who expressed concerns. Who? Carrot demanded, her face twisting in anger. Ravage? That old fool wreaked this? It doesn't matter. The Council must reach a consensus to bring in a new member. 
Is it because I'm falling? There are other concerns. You were Malgus's apprentice for many years. His actions will always color your reputation. Malgus was a traitor! Carrot spat out, her bright green skin taking on a reddish hue, reflecting her heightened emotional state. But I have done more to support the Imperial war effort than anyone! Those of us who have dedicated our lives in the service of the Dark Council might disagree, Ma replied coldly. I meant no disrespect, Darth Maul. knew her reaction was instinctual. The Falline had evolved overtly sensual mannerisms as a survival mechanism for the species. Mar was smart enough to recognize and dismiss the subtle feelings of arousal her voice triggered in him. But individuals of most humanoid species found it hard to resist the Falline charms. I have proven my loyalty to the Empire countless times. I did not think the Council would simply cast me aside. You have not been cast aside. You are still a candidate, but there are others. Who? Mar hesitated, then decided she would eventually find out anyway. Darth Gravis. Gravis? So Mortis is behind this. He and Gravis are thick as thieves! Mortis supports Gravis, but so do many other members of the Council. His work on Terra shows that he would do well in charge of the technology sphere. The Empire claims to be a meritocracy. We punish failure and reward success. I have only victories to my name, but Gravis lost Larator to the Republic. How can the Council prefer him over me? Gravis is planning to recapture Verator. But even if he succeeds, the decision is not final. He added, hoping to mollify her. You will both be considered for the position. So there is still a chance, Carrot replied, seizing on the thin strand of hope. She brought a delicate hand up to her lips as she contemplated the possibility of victory. Assuming he can defeat the Republic fleet over Larator. Most of the Council would probably support Gravis, Mar cautioned, not wanting her to get her hopes too high, only to have them dashed. And what about you, Mar? I would prefer the position go to you. In the long run, you can be of more value to the Empire than Gravis. But I will not risk tearing the Dark Council apart by challenging the others if they back him. So you will not fight for me? We must choose our battles wisely. Sometimes, it is better to be patient. I have been patient, she answered, her expression a sensual pout. There are other seats on the Council, other spheres of influence that need to be filled. Gravis may be the leading candidate, but you are next in line. There was a long pause before Carrot nodded her acceptance. I understand, Darth Maar. Even though we are allies, I cannot expect you to fight this battle on my behalf. Maar felt a great sense of relief, though he was careful not to show his reaction. Part of him had feared Carrot might react with blind rage at being passed over. If she turned against the Empire, the Ascendant Spear would cripple the Imperial fleet, paving the way for a quick and certain Republic victory in the war. Your time will come, Mar assured her. 
It is inevitable. At least we agree on something. She said with a smile. Theron punched the comlink of his small shuttle, opening a hailing frequency with the control tower at one of the hundreds of spaceports on Coruscant's surface. This is Sojourner requesting landing clearance. Copy that, Sojourner. Transmit ship registration for authentication. Transmitting. There was a longer pause than usual on the other end of the comlink before the voice replied, Sojourner, you need to reroute to another spaceport. Sending coordinates now. Theron didn't bother to protest. He knew what was going on. Guess I should have called the director after that mess on Nur Shaddaa. Understood, he said, not bothering to look at the new coordinates. He already knew exactly where they would order him to go. A security escort is awaiting your arrival. I bet they are, he answered, disconnecting the call. As he brought the ship into land... Theron noticed two men wearing Coruscant Security Force uniforms standing by a waiting speeder. He doubted they were actually part of the official planet-wide security force. The director wouldn't involve a civilian organization unless he had to, and it was common for SIS personnel to adopt the uniforms of local authorities when they were expecting trouble, but wanted to avoid drawing extra attention. Theron Shan? One of the men said as he climbed out of his shuttle. What if I say no? Don't cause any trouble, the other warned. The director's not in the mood. Theron briefly thought about making a move. It wasn't that he was actually worried about what the director had planned, but he was eager to test himself against the two agents sent to bring him in. But in the end, he realized he was being foolish. The agents were just following orders. No need to hurt somebody. We're all on the same side here, he assured them. The ride to SIS headquarters was conducted in complete silence. Theron's escorts appeared calm and relaxed, but he could tell they were watching him closely the entire way. Upon landing, they led him into the building, one marching in front of him, the other behind. They didn't break formation until they reached the director's office. One of the men reached out and pressed the buzzer on the door. In response, it slid open, and the director called out, I'll take it from here. Theron gave each of his guards a cheery wave and stepped into the room. As the door slid shut behind him, the director looked up from behind his desk and shook his head. Care to tell me why I shouldn't have you court-martialed for physically assaulting a fellow agent? That hook came at me first, Theron reminded him. I was just minding my own business on Nar Shaddaa when he pressed that knife up against my back. How was I supposed to know he was one of ours? A review board might buy that, the director admitted. Until they remember the part where I ordered you to get off Nar Shaddaa. I just thought you were being overprotective, Theron protested. I would have taken you a little more seriously if I'd known you were in the middle of a mission. But you didn't really explain the situation. I don't have to explain things, the director snapped. I'm the boss, remember? I give you an order and you follow it! Theron shifted uncomfortably in his seat. At least I managed to rescue the prisoners. But you did it in a way that compromised the entire operation. You think this is the first time Morpos auctioned off our people? We've been watching him for months. Tracking his suppliers and marking his buyers, slowly putting together all the bits and pieces of the entire operation. 
Operation Transom wasn't about rescuing four Cathar. It was about putting it into the whole POW slave trade. Come on, Director, Theron replied, raising an incredulous eyebrow. We both know that would never happen. Even if you shut down everyone Morbo ever dealt with, someone else would just step in to take his place. Maybe so, the director conceded. But at least we'd slow them down for a while. Make the traffic dry up. Morbo and everyone else at that auction thinks the explosion at the spaceport has something to do with selling POWs, they're encountered. They're not going to start chasing after fresh meat anytime soon. I heard there were casualties, the director said. Four dead, Theron admitted. Three were hired assassins, kind of asking for it if you go into that line of work. The fourth was a low-level thug working for the old Tian Brotherhood. I looked into him. He won't be missed. So Tephith made it out okay? More or less. Then I guess it's all worth it in your book. The director sighed. Did she have any idea you were there? I don't think so. With all the times you've helped her out, she can't be that bright if she hasn't noticed you by now. Theron smiled. Maybe I'm just that good. I still think you should let her know that she's in your debt. Might make her more likely to help us out down the road. That's not how Tepheth's mind works, Theron said, shaking his head. She's... complicated. The director got up from behind his desk and came around to the other side, crossing his arms as he sat on the edge. Theron... She's become more trouble than she's worth, the director told him. It was bad enough when all you were doing was chewing up your vacation days to help her out. Now it's interfering with ongoing SIS missions. I can't allow that. I know you think this is just some crazy obsession, Theron told him. But down the road, this is going to pay off. Sooner or later, SIS is going to need her help. How do you know that? Is that you talking or Nagani Zhou? You having visions through the force now? The words stung, but Theron wasn't going to back down. Master Zhou used to tell me that what most people call gut instinct is really just the force reaching out to us. He said we'd be better off if we listened to it more often. And I have a feeling about Tephith. And I've got a feeling about you, the director said. A bad feeling. He turned away and went back to sit behind his desk. He took a deep breath and let it out in a long, slow sigh. Then he reached out with his hands and placed them on the top of his desk, fingers spread wide as if bracing himself for what he was about to say. Theron, I'm transferring you to the analytics department, effective immediately. Analytics? Theron exclaimed in disbelief. You trying to turn me into some kind of number-crunching desk jockey? I can't just ignore what happened on Narshadar, the director said. You're a good agent, and I want to keep you in the fold, but you have to learn that your actions have consequences. Besides, he added, it's good to have experience in other departments. I think a three-month stretch with analytics will make you a more rounded agent. I'm plenty rounded already. Theron said. You need a break from field work, the director insisted. Since you can't seem to stay out of trouble even when you're supposed to be on vacation, 
This is the only option I have left. I'm not cut out for office work, Theron said. You've seen my personnel profile. Our evaluations say you're highly intelligent, intuitive, and adaptable. I think you'll fit in just fine. Theron chewed his lip in angry silence before saying, What if I resign? You won't, the director countered. You care too much about the Republic to simply abandon the cause. I could go work for the military, he threatened. Saluting superior officers, following orders, barking out, Sir, yes, sir, twenty times a day? <laughs> right. Fine, then, Theron said. I'll just put in for the rest of my vacation time. Request denied, the director answered. Got a special project in the works, by order of the Republic's Supreme Commander. All hands on board. Nothing personal. Theron sighed and bowed his head in defeat. You start tomorrow morning, the director continued. Analytics is on the third floor. Do I need to send another escort to make sure you show up? I'll be there, Theron promised. But I won't be happy about it. Give analytics a chance, the director suggested. They do important work. And we really are working on a special assignment for Jace Malcolm. We're calling it Operation Endgame. Trust me, Theron, he added. You want to be a part of this. Seated in the command chair on the bridge of the Ascendant Spear, Darth Carrot struggled to keep her contempt at bay as her gaze traced across the two dozen Imperial officers and crew working at their stations all around her. Huddled over consoles and computer screens, their fingers flew over control pads as they reacted to the constant stream of incoming data while the vessel hurled through the empty void of hyperspace. The inefficiency of their clumsy, archaic method of interacting with the ship filled her with disgust. Ten minutes until we reach Lerator, my lord. Moff Lorman said from his seat on the far side of the bridge. Be sure to come out of hyperspace beyond the range of the Republic sensors, she cautioned. It was unlikely Lorman would make such a careless and obvious error. The Moff was a capable officer, but like nearly every Imperial assigned to the Ascendant Spear, he was an interloper on her ship, an insignificant parasite clinging to the underbelly she didn't trust him not to make a mistake that would put her ship in danger. Darth Mechus had designed the vessel with numerous automated systems, and the spear required a crew of only 3,000 to operate at peak efficiency, less than half of what would typically be assigned to an Imperial capital ship. Carrot had come to accept them as a necessary inconvenience, though there were times like now when she resented their presence. When plugged into the spear's command pod, she had total access to all the vessel's systems and sensors. But the effort of controlling an entire capital ship single-handedly was mentally and physically exhausting. She had no choice but to defer to Moff Lorman and his crew during routine travel and other similarly mundane activities, allowing them to run the vessel using conventional means while she saved her energies for the high intensity of battle. When will we send a message to Darth Gravis, telling him reinforcements are on the way, my lord? Moff Lorman asked. Carrot rose from her seat. 
I will contact Gravus, she said, after I have taken command of my ship. She crossed the bridge with quick, purposeful strides, making her way to the turbo lift. The doors slid open, and she stepped inside, pressing the button that whisked her down past floor after floor until she reached the innermost level of the vessel. She stepped out of the turbo lift and made her way down the short corridor leading to a heavily secured door. A retinal scan confirmed her identity, and the door slid open to reveal the Ascendant Spear's true heart. The circular chamber was nearly 30 meters in diameter, but the inside was empty, save for the control console on the perimeter, carriage two apprentices, one a male human, the other a female pure-blooded Sith, and the large crystal sphere in the center. The apprentices were sitting cross-legged on the floor on either side of the sphere, meditating to focus their minds in preparation for the coming battle. It's time, Karen said as she approached the sphere. She placed a hand on the cool exterior, and the sphere parted vertically in the middle, the two halves opening at her touch to reveal the true genius of Darth Mechus. The interior of the Ascendant Spear's isolated command pod featured a single chair surrounded by dozens of monitors and screens. A delicate web of interwoven wires was suspended a meter above the chair. A dozen loose strands hung down from the web, each tipped with a long, thin needle. Lowering herself into the chair, Carrot's fingers tapped the control panels built into the arms. The pod slowly closed, encasing them in a nearly indestructible glittering cocoon. The fingers of her left hand traced a complex pattern over the control panel, powering up the command pod and causing the web of dangling wires above her head to come to life. Twisting and writhing, they slithered down to wrap themselves around Carrot's face and the back of her skull. Carrot closed her eyes in eager anticipation, allowing the dark side of the force to flow through her. Outside the sphere, she sensed her apprentices deep in meditation, opening themselves to her so she could draw on their strength as she took command of the spear. The wires gently caressed her neck and cheeks with the fine-tipped needles on the end, sending a shiver down the fallen spine. Then, one of the needles plunged itself into the cybernetic implant at the back of her neck, making her gasp aloud. Another slid into the implant behind her left ear, and two more burrowed into the left side of her skull on either side of her temple. Two connected to her forehead, and five more pierced the back of the skull. The final strand of wire slithered across the lid of her still-closed eye before slipping into the tiny aperture of the cybernetic interface implanted in her left cheek. She opened her eyes, her vision now an amalgamation of what she saw on the screens and monitors, as well as everything within range of the ship's sensors. The starfield flickered rapidly into view as the Ascendant Spear dropped from hyperspace on the edge of the Ukrali sector, just beyond sensor range of the Imperial and Republic fleets engaged in battle over the skies of Lerator. Though the other ships couldn't detect her presence at this range, the Spear's advanced systems gave Carrot a perfect awareness of what was transpiring. A combination of her force abilities and the cybernetic implants relaying data from the Ascended Spear's long-range scanners enabled Kara to instantly see that although the battle had just begun, Darth Gravis already had the upper hand. The Republic had a single capital ship in the fray, 
the Martyrus, a D-class attack cruiser. Over 500 meters in length, the Martyrus had a wide, flat hull covered with a thick layer of armor plating, as if the vessel were hidden under a hump-shaped shell. It was supported by two hammerheads half its size, easily identifiable by the forward bridges, extending perpendicularly above and below the longer main body of the vessel, and three slightly smaller CR-12 corvettes, sleek narrow ships equipped with battering ram-shaped bows to run enemy blockades and prominent external afterburners to enhance speed and maneuverability. The fleet was rounded out by half a dozen BT-7 Thunderclap fighters, the latest Republic incarnation in personal attack craft. The agile Thunderclap resembled a sideways Y, with the cockpit situated in the crook of the two smaller arms. In contrast, Gravis's personal dreadnought, Exemplar, was almost 800 meters in length. The wedge-shaped capital ship was flanked by three claw-shaped C-class destroyers, that were nearly as large as the Republic flagship. Each destroyer was supported by a complement of six interceptors, the Empire's agile, fang-winged answer to the Republic thunderclap. Gravis had devised a plan that would minimize the risk to his own ship. The destroyers had been deployed to engage the corvettes and thunderclap fighters, freeing up the quick and nimble interceptors to continuously strafe the hammerheads and the heavily armored martyrs. This allowed the Exemplar to remain at safe distance, firing away with its batteries at the Republic vessels with no fear of any return assault. Unfortunately, unless Gravis moved closer to the action, he was limited to inflicting minimal damage on the enemy capital ship's deflector shields and reinforced hull. Ultimately, the Imperials would prevail, but it would be a battle of attrition. Carrot had neither the patience nor the temperament for such a strategy. With a flick of her little finger, she opened a hailing channel to the Exemplar, accelerating the Ascendant Spear toward the other vessels at the same time. Darth Gravis, this is Darth Carid. The Ascendant Spear is at your disposal. Gravis's reply was swift and certain. Disengage, Carid. We didn't call for reinforcements. This is my battle to win, not yours. Carid ignored his orders. The Ascended Spear's engines had already accelerated the ship to 70% of maximum sublight speed, bringing them in range of the Republic sensors. The triangular design of the Spear was common among Imperial capital ships, but its immense size, more than twice that of any other participant in the battle, was instantly recognizable. As Carrot had expected, the Spear's arrival drew an immediate response as one of the Republic hammerheads disengaged and came about to face the new threat. Two of the Thunderclap fighters also veered around, spinning and diving to avoid the destroyer cannons as they sped off to support the Hammerhead. The Hammerhead's turbo lasers opened fire a second later. On a level deep within her subconscious mind, Karen felt the heat as the spear's deflectors easily repelled the first volley. An instant later, the Thunderclap swooped in, one from port, the other from starboard. Lacking enough firepower to inflict significant damage on a ship the size of the Ascendant Spear, beyond point-blank range, the pilots relied on speed and maneuverability to get in close enough to strafe the surface of the larger vessel. To Carrot, they were like annoying insects buzzing in her ear. The only logical response was to slap them out of existence. She focused her mind on the starboard defense turrets, using the spear's sensors to track the fast-moving thunderclap before willing the guns to fire. 
A rapid series of ion blasts hit the fighter in rapid succession, each one striking its target with the unnatural precision made possible only by the perfect fusion of machine and organic. The thunderclap exploded in a ball of heat and light, but Carrot barely noticed. She had her sights set fully on the second fighter. The pilot was taking desperate evasive maneuvers, wheeling, spinning, and diving at crazy angles. Against the augmented reactions derived from Carrot's symbiotic link to her ship, he may as well have been standing still. The port turrets fired, and the second thunderclap disintegrated. The hammerhead opened fire again, and Carrot once more had the sensation of distant heat as the deflectors repelled the incoming blasts. The hammerhead was still too far out to pose any real threat. It had been relying on the fighters to occupy the enemy until it got in close enough to pierce the spear's shields. Bereft of their escort, they were vulnerable and exposed. Karen seized the opportunity, opening fire with the Ascendant Spear's main guns. The blackness of space was illuminated by a blazing barrage of concentrated red energy beams. They ripped through the Hammerhead's deflector shields and shredded the armor-plated hull. Inside, the emergency systems would be overloaded as the vessel's automated systems tried to somehow keep it functional long enough for the crew to evacuate. A second volley from the Spear ended that faint hope as the lasers pierced the engine core containment unit, and the hammerhead vanished in a violent explosion. Gravis's voice rang out once more, simultaneously echoing in Carrot's ears and in the part of her brain that was linked to the ship's communication systems. You think this will turn the Dark Council against me, Carrot? You could take out every Republic ship in this quadrant, but when it comes time to choose someone to join their ranks... They'll still pick me over a falling. You do not grasp the danger you are in, Gravus. You could be killed in this battle. I am here to ensure a desirable outcome for the Empire. The threat was veiled, but like any true Sith, her rival immediately understood the sinister implications of her words. Only one of them would leave this battle alive. Ignore the Republic ships! Gravis commanded his fleet, forgetting in his panic that the new orders were being transmitted over the same standard Imperial frequency Carrot was using. Fire on the Ascendant Spear! Destroy it at all costs! Do not let it... His words were cut off mid-sentence, as Gravis, or someone under his command, had the sense to flip over to an auxiliary communications channel. But Carrot knew words alone wouldn't be enough to justify killing Gravis to the Council she needed him to make the first move. The unexpected switch from Republic targets to the Ascendant Spear threw the Imperial fleet into disarray. The interceptors swarming the Martyrus and the Hammerhead abandoned their strafing runs, peeling away to regroup for a coordinated assault on their new target. The destroyers disengaged from the Republic corvettes and thunderclaps, pulling back as they moved to position themselves between the Exemplar and Karen's retaliation. The Republic fleet, unaware that they now shared a common enemy with their Imperial foes, seized the advantage. Seven interceptors were wiped out by the batteries of the Hammerhead and the Martyrus, and a steady stream of fire from the Corvettes pummeled the retreating destroyers, overloading their deflector shields so that the incoming thunderclaps were able to inflict heavy damage. Carrot watched the sudden tactical shift with an intense hunger, instantly aware of the position and shield status of every vessel through the spear's advanced sensors. 
the information relayed directly through the pulsing wires of the command pod and into her cybernetic implants. Realizing the Republic vessels were focused on the suddenly vulnerable ships of Gravis's fleet, she sent the spear charging into the heart of the fray. Neither Gravis nor the Republic commander anticipated her strategy. Capital ships typically stayed at range, knowing their powerful guns could wear down smaller vessels from a safe distance. By moving into range of the fleets, Carrot was taking risk. If they coordinated their efforts, they could overwhelm the spear. But Carrot knew the element of surprise would prevent that from happening. And at close proximity, the spear's turbo lasers could rip through deflectors and obliterate any of the other vessels in seconds. She started with Martyrus. As the spear bore down on the Republic ship, the battle descended into chaos. One of the corvettes and two of the thunderclaps altered course to try to save their flagship. The rest continued their assault on the crippled destroyers. Eight interceptors swooped back to try to save the destroyers. The rest hurtled toward the spear. The hammerhead closed on the exemplar as it tried to flee to the farthest edge of the conflict. The martyrs tried to ward off the ascendant spear, but before it could bring its guns to bear, Karen opened fire with her entire forward-facing battery. Turbo lasers and ion cannons roared, combining in a glorious symphony of destruction, all but vaporizing the martyrs in a matter of seconds. Karen relished the kill. Sensing the terror of the dying crew through the force. An instant later, she felt a sharp sliver of pain slicing through her, like someone had slid a vibroblade between her shoulders. Gravis had taken the bait, ordering the exemplar to fire on the spear. The blast penetrated the deflector shields and scorched the exterior hull, damage to the ship registering in Carrot's mind like a wound to her own body. The exemplar was too far away to do any serious harm. But by firing the first shot, Gravis had given Carrot the justification she needed to target his ships without having to answer to the Dark Council for destroying an Imperial fleet. The fighters that had tried to come to Martyrus's aid swooped by the spear, their strafing run sending a thousand pinpricks up Carrot's arms. She snuffed them out before they could make a second run. The hammerhead had caught the exemplar forcing Gravis to focus on the immediate threat and preventing him from firing a second shot at the spear. One of the damaged destroyers had been finished off by the corvettes, which were now being hard-pressed by a phalanx of interceptors. The second interceptor squad was closing in on the spear. Carrot opened fire with her turbo lasers, but only managed to hit two of them as the rest continued in undeterred. Carrot's fingers flickered and danced on the control panel, and the spear banked at an impossible angle directly into the path of the incoming horde. The spear had the maneuverability of a vessel half its size, and the unexpected change in direction happened too quickly for the interceptors to react. The tiny fighters were smashed to smithereens against the gargantuan battleship's hull. The move also brought the front of the spear in line with the surviving destroyers and interceptors still locked in battle with the corvettes. Carrot's eyes flickered over the screens of the pod as she descended on the skirmish, the massive capital ship dwarfing the other players. She tapped the control panel, her fingers a blur as she selected her targets in rapid succession. The interceptors, too engaged with the Republic vessels to take evasive action, were wiped out in the first volley. The corvettes were next, their deflectors useless against the spear's point-blank assault. 
The destroyers, already heavily damaged, were a mere afterthought. Several of the vessels were engulfed by fiery explosions. Others rendered lifeless hunks of scrap. Their hulls perforated with countless gaping holes. But Carrie didn't have time to relish the carnage as she turned her attention to her final goal. The remaining hammerhead was still firing at the exemplar. Locked in close combat with the Republic ship, Gravis had been unable to prepare his vessel for the jump to hyperspace. Lowering the shields to make the jump wasn't an option when an enemy was firing at you. There had been a brief window for them both to escape while the spear was wiping out the other ships, but the Republic commander had failed to fully grasp the situation. Instead of mutual flight, he had chosen to continue the battle rather than risk an attempted retreat that would leave him vulnerable to the exemplar. Now it was too late for both of them. The Ascendant Spear closed rapidly on the two remaining ships. Concentrating her turbo lasers on the hammerhead center, she sliced it cleanly in two. Bodies of debris spilled out from the gutted Republic ship into the cold, dark void of space. At the same time, she sensed a massive energy signature emanating from the exemplar. Grievous was trying to make a last desperate jump to hyperspace. He dropped his shields and left his ship vulnerable to attack. But he knew he had no hope of defeating the Empire's most feared weapon if he stayed to fight. Drawing on the automated targeting systems of the spear, Karen fired a precision strike to disable the Exemplar's hyperdrive, leaving Gravis at her mercy. A sudden beeping in her ear told her Gravis was trying to open a hailing channel. But she had no interest in listening to him barter and beg for his life. Instead, she took aim and fired for the last time. The unshielded exemplar exploded into a ball of spectacular blue flame, instantly killing everyone aboard. Carrot sent the spear into a long, slow circle, scanning the wreckage and debris of the entire battle for signs of life, but finding nothing. Satisfied, she contacted the bridge. Mufflawman, prepare to resume command. Yes, my lord. Karen tapped the controls beneath her fingers once more, severing her connection with the spear. She shuddered as the wires retracted, the needles of the biosynthetic interfaces slowly withdrawing her cybernetic implants. A wave of exhaustion washed over her along with an overwhelming sense of intense and irreplaceable loss. Each time she broke her connection with the ship, it felt like losing a limb. The crystal sphere slowly opened to reveal her two apprentices still sitting cross-legged on the floor on either side. Their faces were drawn and haggard, their brows covered with sheens of sweat from supporting their master's exertion. But though they shared her fatigue... Only she knew the glory of becoming one with the spear. And only she could understand the emptiness that enveloped her when the connection was broken. Tell Moff Larman to transmit the record of the battle to the Dark Council. Let them see that Gravas was a traitor to the Empire. To herself, she added. And let them see what happens to those... Look it in my way.
Hold on to your hyperdrives, folks, because the universe just hit us with a cosmic cannonball. Feel the shockwave of the force? Yep. And that's just the aftermath of the epic we have been diving into. Can you believe that that's just the third part? I'm over here feeling like a lone Sith surrounded by a legion of Jedi. The anticipation is real. As the stars align, we're meeting characters that add more layers to this space saga. But wait, there's more. It's time for our signature episode quote. And this part's quote comes directly from Satil Shan herself. She said, within each of us lies the power to rise above the darkness and become a beacon of hope. Okay, what does that mean? It's all about how amazing we are and how we can crush any challenge that life throws at us. Seriously, we got so much potential in us. Here's the deal. Inside each of us, there's a crazy strength that can beat any darkness. We might be faced with tough times, but we're like superheroes with the power to rise above it all. Our thoughts, our actions, and our beliefs are keys to unlocking this power. And get this, no matter how crazy the odds, we always have a choice. By fighting for what we believe in, we stand up for our values and passions. It's not just about physical combat. It's about acting, never giving up, and standing strong for what matters to us. Personal goals, justice, compassion, you name it. If we live by this quote, we will unleash our inner strength, ignite our courage, and create a positive impact on the world. You got this, fam. And that's about all I have for this episode. I hope you enjoyed part three of Annihilation, and I hope you will join me for part four in a few days. Until then, may the force be with you. Thank you for listening to Star Wars Audio Archives. Join us next time for more Star Wars adventures. If you would like to listen to other episodes of the show, you can follow us on your favorite podcast directory. If you enjoyed the show, we would greatly appreciate a five-star review. Once again, thank you for listening, and may the Force be with you. Sway was created by Keen Eye Shed and is a production of Pick Film Media. This show was produced by Quinn McDaniel and was distributed by Sway Cast Network. Star Wars The Old Republic Annihilation was read to you by Jason Odega. Sound designed by Theodore Thompson. I am your host, Kyle, and we will see you next time in a galaxy far, far away.